Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. It is Monday, August 16th. The Vuelta has begun. Tour of Norway is on. Silka has some socks or something. We chat with the new world record holder for Everesting. In fact, Ronan, also a world record holder for Everesting, talks to the new world record holder for Everesting later in the show. We've got all that coming up for you, and most of the usual crew. Shoddy is on, uh, I think, bath and bedtime duty at the moment, so we do not have Shoddy today, but we have Abby Mickey. How are you, Abby? Hello. Yep. Good. And Ronan McLaughlin. How are you, Ronan? I'm good. Well, what is this Vuelta you speak of? <laughs> uh, it's the smallest of the Grand Tours, the least consequential. What? Wait, if, okay, first of all, that's not true. And second of all, we're about to do like a 45-minute <laughs> podcast about it, followed by two more of them. If you want people to listen to those podcasts, I feel like we should not say that. But again, it's also not true. <laughs> I just said it to just to get Dane's I, reaction I mean, yeah. to that. I just want people to listen to our show. That's all. The Vuelta is here. We're stoked about the Vuelta. Today was the first uphill stage, uphill finish, and it was good. We're going to talk about it in just a second, but before we do... Today's episode is brought to you by Continental. During the Tour de France this July, Continental released their GP5000s with the highly anticipated tan sidewalls. This is very exciting. If you, like me, believe that the only proper color for a sidewall is tan, the Continental GP5000 cream is now a full-time addition to the GP5000 range. So if you're looking for a performance tire with a splash of stylish color, the GP5000 cream is your choice. Tires have all the same handmade features that black or transparent sidewall GP5000s have, like black chili, laser grip, Vectron, and active comfort technology, but with a little added flair. Thank you to Continental for supporting this episode. Let's get into the Vuelta. All right, Dane. <laughs> Dane, today was the first uphill finish, as I said earlier, and we got a little... A little mini taste, I think, of what's coming over the next couple weeks. We saw some riders looking strong, some riders looking less strong. Where are we at? Yeah, well, I, I feel like we should also, I mean, we, we haven't done a show since the Vuelta started, so we need to at least kind of I, I maybe quickly talk about the first and second stage where Primoz Roglic was the, the, the winner of the first stage and showed that he's here to win this race, for hopefully for the third time, uh, he hopes. Uh, Roglic looking really good after that first day. And uh, Adam Yates also looked really good on that first day. Um, unfortunately for Yates, on the second day, uh, he was among those losing time after a very late crash. Um, he lost a little bit of time, still very much in, in the picture. Uh, so that's where we were heading into the third stage, where the breakaway took the stage win. Ryan Taramai took the stage win. A nice win from him. First time in 10 years he's won a wealth of stage. It's his third career Grand Tour stage win. He got away from the breakaway group on that last climb and just really impressive because that's a 9% gradient on a, on the uh, Pico and Blanco. And he managed to hold on. Nice job from Teramai. Also took the red jersey. But if you're talking about the real bona fide GC contenders, yeah, I think we saw a, a number of things that I think are going to be pretty consequential moving forward. We saw, let's see, we saw Primus Roglic kind of isolated, which was surprising. Uh, Sepp Kuss got dropped like halfway, three quarters of the way up the climb. Uh, and basically, it, it didn't really have an effect on Roglic because he didn't really need his teammates. Uh, but I don't know, it, it, you would expect 
guys like Kuss to be there. Uh, and and Kuss was not there. Uh, Stephen Kreuswick was not there. Sam Omen was not there. And so if that continues, I mean, there could be stages later in this race where if Roglic has a flat or needs a teammate around uh, and, and these guys don't kind of pick it up a little bit, that, that could be important. But it wasn't because Roglic was just fine on this final climb. He looked good. So Adam Yates also looked really good. I think um, he showed that he, well, he hasn't raced a Grand Tour yet this year. And I think he's really been targeting the Vuelta because this is really his only opportunity. And he's clearly in good shape uh, with like 2K to go. He was following accelerations and, and at the front in a way that I think showed me that he's looking and feeling really good. Meanwhile, Richard Carapaz, not so much. Uh, he lost a minute to the rest of the big GC guys today. He got dropped and he got back on and he got dropped again. Um, I think he managed to limit his losses relatively well. Uh, he's not entirely out of the picture at only a minute down, but it wasn't a good sign. And it's already shown. I think it's it's Bernal and Yates for Vernias moving forward. I'm not super surprised that Carapaz lost some time today. I mean, it's kind of asking a lot to finish on the podium at the tour win the Olympic road race and then do the Vuelta immediately afterwards. That is a, that's a hefty calendar with very, very little in between time to be able to recharge. And some serious travel in there as well. I mean, it's not like, it's not like the Olympics were in Europe, you know, he had to get all the way to Tokyo, all the way back, quarantine stuff, uh, lots of stress, probably a bit of a break after the Olympics, I would hope, you know, at least a couple of days. Yeah, so not too surprising that he's looking a bit tired. You know, Yates is one of those riders who he's not a great time trialist, uh, but when he's on form, he can do a halfway decent time trial. And so I think you could actually kind of tell from stage one, which is sort of a, basically a prologue, right? It's an eight minute, eight and a half minute effort that he's he's on really good form here. I mean, he finished 16th, 20 seconds back on Roglic. And that's sort of not normally where we'd find him so good indications right from the very start there and then he looked the most comfortable on the climb today he just looked he looked by far the most comfortable in the climb today bernal behind him you know the the the, the teammate that we were yeah, i think i think most were kind of assuming would end up being the leader by the end of three weeks here looking less comfortable he was sort of dangling off the back of roglich's wheel just a bit more grimacy a uh, bit uh gurning he was doing some gurning right in front of Fabio Aru, also doing some gurning. So I think we could see maybe a bit of a switch up in this in this Tour de France. And, and they are, you know, they have, uh, Yates said after the stage, the classic, like, we have cards to play, right? But it's, it's actually true right now where they've got they've got two riders. And I think we can already consider Carapaz probably sort of super, super domestique in this case. They've got now two riders who look pretty good. You know, one is, is sort of a heavy favorite coming into the race along with Primoz Roglic. And Yates, who is clearly just on flying form right now. I think for Bernal, um, it's hard for me to say whether he was struggling or just decided I'm going to ride behind Primoz Roglic every day of this race until I decide to attack. Uh, because he was right on Roglic's wheel like the entire time. And at the end of the day, he finished on the same time as Adam Yates. Uh, and I think Bernal's probably going to try to ride a little bit more conservatively until we get into the, the high altitude, which there aren't a lot of high altitude stages. I think there's only two finishes above 1,700 meters. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Bernal ride a little bit conservatively until then. He just looked bad, though. He looked all twisted up. I mean, Chris Froome won four tours de France. 
He didn't look the best. <laughs> True. Bernal lost time in the TT, though, that I maybe wouldn't have expected him to lose. He didn't lose like a ton of time, but he still didn't look like he did during the Giro, maybe, or not not top Bernal. So it kind of makes sense that he would ride a little bit more conservatively, except especially when he has somebody like Yates to kind of pick up the extra slack and ride a little bit more aggressively. I was going to say, sort of tactically, I imagine that's how Ineos is going to play it, right? Just leave Bernal behind Roglic for three weeks, like you said. Wait for either him to crack or wait for a high-altitude day where Bernal feels great and try to take some time. And then use Yates as your sort of your wild card, right? Just send him up the road where he can go. Uh, have him attack. Have him be a little bit more aggressive. Have him make small moves, see what happens. Have him try to push the pace and try to crack riders behind him. You can use those two different skill sets, I think, really well. Uh, and Yates has proven that he, he can be pretty punchy when the, t- when the time comes, when he really needs to be. So I, I as a team, they looked really good to me. They looked better as a team than than certainly than Jumbo Visma because uh, Sepkus had a pretty rough day. Uh, Movistar, Movistar was up there. Movistar, I would put in a in a pretty good classification from a from a team perspective as well. The Trident is sharp as of yet on stage three. Uh, I would say that I don't think Valverde will actually stay up there. He looked great again today, but it's kind of a classic Valverde climb, right? But I don't think he's really, really going to stay in that in that trident there. But Movistar did look pretty good. I, I kind of opened the podcast there joking a bit about the Vuelta. But I actually, one of the things I really like about the Vuelta is the fact that you do get these, you know, somewhat finishes so early on in the race. And uh, that that sort of, you know, it, it, it presents a bit of a conundrum for the GC riders in that, you know, they have to be on close to peak form, at least for the start of the race, but then be able to sustain that the whole way through as opposed to a race that's, you know, um, you know, back end heavy with, with higher climbs that they can sort of ride into, but uh, that combined with uh, I think I heard the writer saying it was a headwind finish today. Um, you know that that sort of maybe just made today's stage a bit harder to read, also. And I think you know that that that's sort of what surprised me, and I was sort of distracted by the Silka socks at the time, so I was only watching it out of one eye. Um, but but yeah, Yates seemed very aggressive. But then if if I heard him right, he said in his interview that you know with it being a headwind, it was hard for anything to to really stick. So that sort of is another indicator that as you said, Katie, perhaps they're just, you know, haven't haven't Yates mark almost anything that moves and, and haven't Bernal for the for the longer game. But um, you know, without the without the high altitude that we've seen in the Giro this year, is is Bernal going to get that same opportunity? I'm not so sure. And yeah, just judging by Saturday's time trial, Roglic is uh you know, ha- having been the man to beat in the past two Vueltas seems to be that that way again this year, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I do. There's probably something to sort of the timing of all of this as well from a from a form perspective. In general, today we saw riders who completed the entire Tour de France not look as good. They probably took a little bit more time off after the Tour. They're probably sort of ramping back up right now. Versus riders who skipped the Tour and basically had all summer to to come into this this you know the beginning of this Vuelta hot. Right? If you just race the Tour de France, you can't really come into this Vuelta hot. You you had to take a bit of time to rest and recover. So maybe we'll see in the third week, maybe that'll sort of, those those two lines will begin to intersect again, right? You've, you've got the riders who came in hot, didn't race the Tour, intersecting with the riders who are maybe coming into form actually at the end of this Vuelta if they did take some time off in between, uh, which would, you know, then benefit a rider like Egan Bernal, 
for example. Roglic is tricky. I mean, he obviously started it but didn't finish the Tour de France. So he's more he's more in the uh more in the category of Bernal Yates than uh well, than somebody like Carapaz who's looking not so not so hot or Sepkus right now who's looking mm, pretty cold. Uh Enric Moss, a nice exception to the I think most yeah, most of the riders in that group did did either leave the tour unexpectedly in Roglic's case or didn't race it at all. Um but yeah, Moss finished the tour and he was really strong today. And just to go back to Movistar for a second, it was, uh, I think they have to be happy with the fact that all three of the riders are still in contention after three days. Cause that, I mean, they go in with the Trident and so often after, you know, 72 hours, it's, it's a spear. Uh, but it was interesting to see that Moss took three seconds over the other, you know, big riders. And it was Lopez leading that group over the finish line. Which, you know, could have been anybody else. But no, it was his own teammate who led that group over the line. Uh, so Movistar, still Movistarring, even if they're having a nice day. Uh, even if all three of their riders are finishing kind of with the main group, they're still doing what they do best. They're just generating Netflix content. That's all we're doing. That's the only reason we're here. <laughs> well, with the news of Mark Soler leaving the team, they know they have to. Everybody else has to really step it up. Bahrain victorious for another Pretty impressive team today. Uh, rode, rode in front for a long time, and then I uh, I heard something about uh, Landa maybe drop back in the group, but unclear if that was due to the headwind or just not feeling great. But he finished he finished with the other leaders there. I think in terms of firepower within the team, Ineos probably has the strongest team in this race. But Bahrain gives them a run for their money. I mean the 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 caliber of riders. It's like every single rider in this in this race for Bahrain or at least most of them, is capable of at least winning a stage. Uh, you know, with, with Londa leading the way, and I think it's clear after three days that it probably is going to be Londa leading the way. Um, but, you know, Damiano Caruso, Mark Padun, like that, that's a lot of firepower to have backing you up. Wild Pools, uh, they, they just, they have a team that they could, that they could totally control this race uh, if Landa actually kind of lives up to the billing and, and, and uh continues to, to have a good race uh that's a tall order we've seen him highly build for years but if he does yeah pools caruso uh, uh Padun, gino mater like that's a lot of firepower y- y- y'all remember the the free landa campaign <laughs> a couple years ago uh you know he's he's riding in the service of others and like no let him let him free can we unfree Landa? I want to unfree Landa uh, because I think that this, I think that team could be the best stage hunting team in this entire bike race. And because they're riding for Mika Landa, they will end up with nothing from this Vuelta. That's what I think. Wow. It could happen <laughs> naturally. <laughs> 10 days in, something happens. So Landa, he crashes or something. And then they're a freed. The rest of the team is freed. Or, or, or he comes in fourth. Or something, right? Like he could have a he could have a pretty good race. I don't think he's gonna win this Vuelta though. Like I, things would have to happen to multiple riders for him to win this Vuelta. And so as a result, you've got you've got Gino Mater, you've got all these guys who like could be really entertaining for three weeks, and instead, because Lando is free, they are unfree, and we won't get to watch that. And I'm, I'm that's a bummer. Are you saying they're taking a non-victorious approach to this? <laughs> Bahrain victorious. <laughs> uh should we talk at all about the winner of today's stage yes absolutely it rained in spain awesome awesome ride by rain Terame. um kind of on the 
the older side of the spectrum has been around for a really long time and is just kind of a legend in the Baltics. And it really, really awesome to see him take the stage. Even more awesome to see him in the leader's jersey for the for tomorrow. I think probably the best thing that could have possibly happened to Yumbo Visma is Rain Terame taking the the leader's jersey because based on how they look today, they probably don't want to defend it <laughs> for the first, you know, the next couple days. Looked pretty purposeful to me, right? Give that give that group eight plus minutes. I mean they they could have probably brought probably brought him back on that final climb if the GC group had sort of gone harder earlier. But it looked to me like they did they did not want red for the next no, week. The, of course they didn't. They looked terrible yeah. today. They didn't want they didn't want to hold on to red. I, I think it was a consequence of um, it's like the Ineos Grenadiers finally decided. Oh, what if we didn't actually ride tempo up every climb every day. And then the rest of the peloton, probably expecting them to do that, actually realized, oh, wait, we, we have to work if we want to bring the breakaway back, and nobody did. Uh, and I don't, maybe that could change. I mean, any else could decide a weekend, okay, we're going to go back to the old school plan of always riding tempo, even if it doesn't actually help us. But today, they weren't really up there, and nobody seemed interested in being the one team to just pull the pace all day. There were other teams that did for a time. We saw UAE up there a lot, uh, for instance, but it just without any us to say, okay, we're going to ride the front for an hour. Uh, nobody else really seemed all that interested. If, if any of us doesn't ride this, this is going to be disastrous for the race's average speed. <laughs> That's a good point. It'll be back to the Giro like 30 years ago when they would race really hard for like 10 minutes at the start and then there was no TV all day, so they would just chill out for like 150K and then race at the end. We'll see that again. Except it'll be on television, so we'll get to watch the entire thing. The processional. Going back to Terame, I think the, I mean, first of all, his team has to be pretty happy because they jumped up to the world tour this year and they have not had the results that a world tour team tends to expect to get. Um, First of all, they don't have a lot of big star riders to do that. And they're, and they're picking some up. I mean, they've, they've signed Alexander Kristoff for next year, for instance, who will hopefully be able to get them a couple of stage wins here and there, uh, uh, you know, one of the smaller classics, maybe. Uh, but for Terame to pull this off today, that's a pretty big deal for that team. And obviously a big deal for Terame. And, and uh, Abby pointed this out. He's 34. It's been a decade since he won his last Vuelta stage and five years since he won a Giro stage. But he's always had he's had success in the one days. He's been the kind of rider that you would expect to do this kind of thing, take breakaway wins. Um, and it's just really nice to see when a rider just kind of keeps doing it year after year after year, trying to go for this kind of stage win. Uh, you know, kind of toiled. I don't want to say in obscurity, but didn't have that much success when he was at uh, the direct energy team for a while there. Uh, but I, yeah, I love to see riders like this who just keep at it and finally pull off that next big win after all these years. I would like to point out that I'm not saying he's old at in or on the older side in terms of his age, but more his racing age because he turned world tour in 2009 uh, with coffee. This like credit. And I can't, I don't know some French selling French and uh, so he's been, you know, in the world tour Peloton for, I mean, starting in 2007 when he signed with Cofidis, that's a long time to be in the world tour Peloton. He was 11th at the 2011 tour, which is first of all, not bad. And second of all, that means he was, yeah, he was already pretty good quite a long time ago. He's also had quite a rough time, but I think he's got, he had monoclosis a number of times and yeah, really, really struggled with with different uh, 
well, just just having form, and and I think he even struggled to find a contract this year. And you know, to see now he's just come away with a, a well at the stage one is, uh, I suppose, for a lot of writers, maybe in a similar situation right now that we don't know about. Perhaps that's a a bit of motivation for for them. Uh, it could even be writers in this Vuelta who you know look at Tarame today and go, "Whoa, this guy was so close to hanging up his wheels, and now he's on a stage and taking the leader's jersey of a Grand Tour." Uh, I would love to know when the last time an Estonian held the leader's jersey at a Grand Tour. I feel like perhaps if it's happened. It must be uh, what do you call him? He used to be a sprinter for AG Tour. Did the- Tunnel Kangard ever win? Because he's the other Estonian who like has been on Grand Tours. Yeah, Kirsipu. Yeah, yeah, Kirsipu must have worn green at some point. I yeah, I mean like a leader's jersey, like red, yellow, pink. And in case anybody was wondering that. Tour de France, where Rain Terme finished um, 11th. The Mayo Sabla that year was Garrett Thomas, just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to have it open. Terme was touted as a, as a GC contender for a little while when he was younger. Uh, you know, I think that that happens to a lot of riders, right? Where they show glimmers of that. They show the ability to ride in the top 15 and the top 10. Uh, and then they there's just a, there's a big enough difference between that and actually winning one of these races that they're better off just turning into stage hunters or something like that we're probably gonna see sep goose do that we've you know we saw today that he's he's super hot and cold right he's he's either has, has these amazing days or or doesn't you know it gets dropped when there's still 30 riders left uh i think that teramai kind of fits in that same category he's just not consistent enough but can on his day can pull off these pretty incredible rides i mean he dropped joe dombrowski today Another Grand Tour stage winner. Uh, you know, Dombro is one of the best climbers in the world. Just straight up dropped him on one of the steep sections today. Uh, it's a super impressive ride. Just just for you, just for you then, Abby. Jan Kirschbus wore the yellow jersey for six days in 1999. There you go. Fun fact. Jan I Kirsipu. love a fun fact. Fun fact. Jan Kirschbus wore the, the yellow jersey. F- the funnest fact he also has a record for dropping out of the Tour de France at 12 times. Wow. <laughs> Uh, good old Estonians. Moving on. Tour of Norway. Abby, what's going on over there? Yeah. Well, the Tour of Norway is over. I would have corrected you earlier, but my Wi-Fi cut out. So, tour Did it end yesterday? The Tour of Norway ended yesterday as of recording this. So, on Sunday, for those who are listening, um, the overall was won by Annemiek Van Vluten after she absolutely dominated stage three, which was a 11 kilometer uphill finish. Um, it was a pretty exciting finale, actually. Uh, it was a, lo- a big group stuck together until about three, four kilometers ago when Ashley Moon Passio threw down an attack and Van Vluten countered it. Ashley Moon Passio had an incredible ride to hold on to second by only 35 seconds, I believe. The general race itself was... Four days of really awesome racing for the women. Four stages won by four different riders on four different teams, which is not something we've seen a ton of this year. It's been a lot of SD Works domination at the stage races, but this was a little similar to Vuelta Abergos, um, where we had a lot of different riders winning for various reasons. The first stage was won by Kristen Faulkner, who was in a day-long breakaway and held it until the line mere millimeters the, the Peloton that caught her, you know, if it, if the stage had been 50 meters longer, she would not have won. So it was a pretty impressive 
Um, the second stage was won by Rihanna Marcus, who is always a domestique for Mariana Voss on Yumbo Visma. She had kind of the same situation as Faulkner and um, was in a breakaway all day. The Peloton pretty much caught her and she was like, yeah, nah, I'm going to keep going and won the stage and took the leader's jersey, which we saw the leader's jersey change hands um, three times, which was pretty awesome. Final stage was the one that I think is, well, arguably the best finish of the race, which was won by Chloe Hosking. And uh, this is her first race back after contracting COVID in March. Her last race was Gent Wevelgem. So it's been 136 or seven, I can't do math, days since she last raced a bike uh, before the first stage of Tour of Norway, and she won the final stage. So for her to come back after such a long period out um, with so much uncertainty about what the after effects of COVID are, she took a really long time to make sure that her body was ready for that kind of effort again. And it really paid off. Uh, she won a world tour stage of a world tour stage race. So an awesome win for Chloe. Um, if you want to hear a bigger, deeper, a deeper dive into the ladies tour of Norway, freewheeling comes out today, same day as this podcast, check it out. Me and Amy Jones and Gracie Elvin talk all about the ladies tour of Norway for you. Breaking news. Uh-oh. Richard Carapaz got a 20-second time held to today. You know, on the TV, a lot was made up of uh, a, a lot of controversy about the color of his bike. On the TV, it does look gold. It looks gold on the TV. I think it was some kind of filter they slapped on those images, honestly. I, I'm pretty, Yeah, I'm pretty convinced that whoever shot those images just, like, didn't white balance properly. What if they just repainted <laughs> but it? it's just kind of funny. Like, after all the backlash. They might have... Yeah. No, because, like... Our, our now sister publication, Peloton Magazine, they had photos where it looked pretty gold. But the photos we got sent, it didn't look gold. So that's why our headline said gold-ish. <laughs> because that's what it looked like to me. Anyway, anyway, he got a 20-second time penalty. Unclear, actually, at the moment for what? Possibly illegal position. Possibly uh, eating in the wrong place. Peeing in the wrong place. Could have been anything. It's definitely because the gold on the bike gold let's, let's say it is gold on the bike and the gold let's say it is gold on the helmet are two different types of let's say they are gold <laughs> that's worth more than 20 seconds though that's like a 40 second to, to 60 second penalty i, I think say. it's disqualification to be honest but <laughs> all right let's move on today's episode is also brought to you by 3t 3t is bringing production back home with the race max made in italy project 3T is thrilled to bring frame building back to their headquarters in Bergamo, up in the north of Italy. 3T's unique dry filament winding technique allows them to use a less energy-intensive process and mix in different types of fibers where necessary to tune the ride quality. Head over to blog.3t.bike to learn more about the Made in Italy project and the Founders Edition frames available for purchase right now. Thanks to 3T for sponsoring today's episode. All right, next up in today's show, our in-house Everesting world record holder. Uh, Ronan, do you lose your job if you lose your record? Did we? Has that in the contract? He didn't remember. lose his record. I'm, I, I'm not saying that he lost his record. I'm saying if he lost his record. 
Because then we can't announce him as our in-house Everesting world record holder. I feel like when we say he's an in-house record holder, it's like he has the best Everesting time of anybody on staff, which is inherently true. I mean, he does. <laughs> but he's also the planetary, the galactic. Universal record, record holder. No, we'll strike that out of your contract. I think you can keep your job even if you lose the record. Because uh, it's going to happen at some point, right? It'll be a sad day, but it will happen. I actually lost the, the base camp Everesting record over the weekend. What? Yeah. To who? Max Stebman, uh, British writer, Continental, UCI Continental writer. Hmm. Is he coming for your, your big record? Apparently so. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, someone else lost a record this weekend. It was Emma Pooley. Emma Pooley lost her Everesting world record to Illy Gardner. Uh, I don't really know much about Illy, but Ronan, you got her on the phone, so let's hear from her. So, Eileen, we've just got your name totally wrong on the podcast there. Apologies about that, but it, it is Eileen Gardner, and you are the new Everesting World Record holder. Tell me, has it sunk in yet? No, it's... Yeah, it's really strange, actually, because, yeah, everything's kind of something I've wanted to do for a really long time, but, and, like, spent a lot of time thinking about it, but to actually, yeah, actually have done it is quite cool, and then, yeah, the record, I never thought it would be even close to it, so, yeah, it feels pretty, pretty good. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's not just any record you've broken, I guess, it's Emma Police, who is, you know, renowned time trials, former world champion, and a climber, so... Uh, the two things that Everesting is, it's basically a climbing time trail. Uh, and you've went and taken, what, 20 minutes off her record? Yeah, but we'll see how long it stands for. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I guess uh, Emma, Emma Police stood for almost a year now, I think. So, um, and and you've, you've raised the bar even more there. Tell me, you said that you'd been thinking about Everesting for a long time. Is this dating back, you know, pre-pandemic or or how long is it is it something you've been thinking about this season or yeah like sort of ever since I first started cycling I've just like loved climbing so I was like aware of everything for quite a while before it you know became really popular um so yeah I sort of actually tried one like back in 2015 I think but like in hindsight it was a ridiculous idea because I cycled about once a week at that point um and me and my dad set out super early and then ended up coming home before lunch because I think I made it about 12,000 feet in six hours. Um, and then I realized that it was going to be difficult to ever even get co close to completing one. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of, yeah, started considering it, doing it properly again this year. Um, I did two virtual ones over this past winter. But yeah, when it became really popular last year, I still didn't really consider doing it then because there was the possibility of road racing starting back up. And I wasn't sure when that'd be like a good opportunity to actually have a crack at it. Yeah, so you were you were a real early adopter than what, six years ago you first thought about it? Yeah, yeah, it's really funny looking back because I was well, like, I wasn't, I was so unfit in comparison as no chance I was going to come close to completing it but it's something that's yeah I've wanted to do for, for a really long time and you you recently did a, a half everything on the on a base camp ride on, on the same climb 
was that sort of a trial run or was that uh, part of the training or, or what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, so that ended up being, I think, it was exactly a month before the full one. Um, yeah, it was sort of an attempt, but we knew it was like a ridiculously steep climb and I probably didn't have enough gears. So I was kind of just seeing how it went. And then after about one ref, I realized it'd be difficult to, yeah, get even near a full Everest. So I decided to just kind of try and push on for the half. But yeah, my, I was kind of grinding around at like less than 50 RPM on the steep bit. So then I just decided to kind of use it as a prep for it. And yeah, definitely learned a lot on that day, which then helped prepare for the actual one. And one of the things you changed from that then was the gearing. What what did you run with for the actual record on? Um, so it was a 34 chainring and then a 46 on the back. But that's quite a big jump out of 46 and then 37. So it was still quite difficult to... Like I was never quite in the right gear on the steepest section, but oh yeah, it made such a difference. Like, it, yeah, needed all the gears at four miles an hour. Did you find you used that 46 right from the very first lap or was it uh, something you really... Yeah, so I kept sort of, I was trying to like alternate between them. So I'd be slightly overgeared if I was in the, the other gear and then I would try and drop it down that one every other rep just to kind of mix it up a bit. But then... I think that was kind of about halfway through I started finding myself more and more often in that gear. I think it was a bit, I was spinning a bit too much for the kind of gradient, but I was in it a lot in the last few hours. Well, I guess at 17% average and over 20% at maximum pitch, it's uh, yeah, it's spinning is sort of a, a relative term. And I looked at your Strava file and I think your average cadence was 66 RPM. So um, had, had you trained specifically for that sort of, you know, uh, effort where you're just exactly the same as I find, where you just have to sort of grind it out and, and, and get it done rather than spin, spin to win, as the saying goes? Yeah, I quite, I quite like grinding. <laughs> like it's good to kind of, I find it easier to settle into kind of a rhythm and just kind of plow away and it got to the point where 60 like 66 felt quite like normal <laughs> um yeah it's not I haven't done much like overgeared stuff or anything but I think my knees just about held up I think much much lower would have been pushing it a bit and tell me then what because I know like a whole way through the ride you're sort of making the, the calculations and I guess you're sort of calculating you know at each lap what what time you're doing and and what that's going to add up to at the end at what point did you realize that the record actually was was on here and then at, at what point did you realize you were likely to break the record yeah I definitely started a bit fast so I think the first half I did in almost exactly four hours so I was like yeah I knew I was going to slow down a bit but I had like a bit of a buffer um but then I also knew that like a buffer is no use if you just completely blow up so I, I was feeling like confident, not confident, but okay halfway through and then had a bit of a low patch um, where my time just dropped massively after about five hours. And I think if I'd not picked it up again, I would have been like over the time then. And then but when I got within like the last two hours, I started thinking I could probably hold on to the pace and just about make it. Did, did you have any moments where you like... Because I know I did where you confuse the timings and you start thinking, no, I'm not going to get it. It's impossible. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, no, wait, I'm, I'm 20 minutes up here. Yeah, I tried to 
like it kind of got to the point where I started trying not to even look at like I knew I was getting slower and slower and getting it was going to get closer and closer to not making it so at some point I think I just tried to go to like survival mode um and then my dad was telling me that I was still like sort of on pace um it turned out I was a bit faster than he thought I was um so yeah I had a bit there's still a long way to go at one point and I was my dad thought I was kind of like not gonna make it and then yeah gave me kind of another burst of motivation when we realized that it was still quite possible and were you keeping lap counts on your head unit or was it just your dad there at the side of the road keeping check of the laps yeah my dad had like um like a little chart that he was taking off with the kind of times but I was also counting uh in my head I like I told myself I wouldn't I'd try and just like forget about how many I had to do so it wasn't too like overwhelming to think about but I ended up just like subconsciously counting (laughs) so I was like okay I'll just accept it but then I was a I think towards the end my dad thought I hadn't done he thought I had done one less than I had. And I was like, oh no, then luckily I was right. <laughs> and did you do one extra just to be sure or did you stop? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I think I did 73 and I had to do like 71 and a bit. Mm-hmm. Will, will, you ever, will you ever go to that climb again, do you think? I know it's about a three hour drive away, so it's not, it's not exactly on the training loop. Um, I think I probably will. I don't know. I said I never want to see that road again. <laughs> I guess the question is eight hours and 33 minutes. Do you think you have three minutes and uh, was it 37 seconds? Yeah. I mean, I think if everything had kind of gone, things went like relatively smoothly. It could have been, there could have been a lot more like bumps in the road, but I think I lost a lot of time in the like five hours in. I just kind of, when there was like the rain and sheep and, just started to kind of lose it psychologically I lost like a lot of time there and I think my descending in general could improve a lot as well well I guess a a better day would would help you just go faster on the descent yeah regardless I guess yeah that's like when we set out there was like the forecast was saying it was going to be raining all day so like could have been a lot worse I think I was thinking you might have to like start in the rain and then I was a bit worried about that yeah because yeah didn't you wait for your Everest until uh, the rain. Yeah, like, last um, year I I waited until uh, I was fairly certain from the weather apps that it was going to stop raining at say three p.m. So I waited until three p.m. and yeah, it it, uh, it eventually stopped raining. But yeah, I think uh, where you and I are, if we we're to wait for a dry day, we could be we could be waiting a long time. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Just have to hope for the best. <laughs> so uh, we can expect another crack at it at some point. Then do we think? Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think like the classic because like right after I finished, I was like never doing that again. But it's only been two days and I'm already kind of yeah. keen to give it another go sometime. I think if you're thinking like that after two days, then you're you're definitely. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it'd probably take like a few months to <laughs> mentally recover. But it's, it's crazy how quickly you like forget how horrible it is yeah and that, that's like i was going to ask you there you had to do 71 laps like how many of the laps do you remember or is it all just a blur or, or how does that oh yeah i don't it was all kind of the same <laughs> to be honest like yeah looking back at it it was just like it's 
I don't know how eight and a half hours passed and just going up that road. Well, uh, I guess it uh, helped to pass in that it was the, the quickest time ever. So <laughs> it's, as long as long as it seems, it was still quicker than, than anybody else has done it. So uh, congratulations <laughs> again from, from everybody at Cycling Tips and uh, just a phenomenal ride. Oh, thank you very much. All right, Ronan. Excellent interview with Haley Gardner, I'm assuming. You haven't actually done it yet as we, re- as we record this episode. I'm sure it'll be great, and then and then it'll get dropped in, and it'll be fantastic. So kudos to the interview that you will do in the next like hour or two. Okay, so there was, moving there on. was no pressure before, but now there is pressure. <laughs> now there's pressure. Moving on, moving on, moving on. All right, today's nerd nugget. Now, before I get to today's nerd nugget, we have, we have an important announcement here. Uh... I requested, I stole this idea from a, a soccer slash football podcast called The Football Ramble that I listen to on occasion. I requested jingles, both at the Tour de France for this podcast, and we got we got some, we didn't get any jingles, but we got lyrics to jingles, but the problem is none of us have any musical talent, and so those lyrics just stayed lyrics, they're just, they're just written down. However, we requested jingles for the Nerd Alert podcast, which is obviously our tech podcast. That's Ronan and James and Dave Rome and occasionally myself. And we got some. We got jingles. So this isn't actually a jingle for Nerd Nuggets. This is a jingle for a segment on that podcast called Ask a Mechanic, where we ask our pro mechanic in residence, Zach Edwards of Boulder Gruppetto, we ask him questions that come in from readers. Uh, So this is the jingle for Ask a Mechanic. If your bike's got a problem, well, there's no need to panic. Send your question in to Ask a Mechanic. I think you'll all agree that it's fantastic. Uh, so here's my request. If we have any musicians out there, I, all I can promise you is free stuff from James Wong's garage. That's, that's, that's our payment system. <laughs> you have to do it for the love of the art, I think. But if you want to make us a jingle for either Nerd Nuggets or any other segment of this podcast, could be the opener, could be for the Continental ad, I don't care. If you want to make a jingle, shoot it on over. Editor at cyclingtips.com. We'll, we'll, we'll explain to the world how amazing you are at making jingles and we'll run it on the, on the podcast. Since Kaylee is putting this out into the universe, I feel that I could also put a plea out into the universe which I don't know if we would get if we would get flagged for and sued. But if anybody wants to make their own version of Taylor Swift's The Man to be the starting song for the freewheeling podcast, that'd be awesome. Matt Denise, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Did you just thumbs down? No, I, I held it. It was sort of a, I don't know. Absolutely not. No. That was a thumbs level. Yeah, thumbs I level. don't like your thumbs. Anyway, we love a good jingle. Uh, that jingle for Nerd Alert came in from, oh, John, your last name is tricky. Choignier? Choignier? I should have asked you how to, uh, say that. Anyway, John sent that in for Nerd Alert and for the Ask Mechanic segment. If you want to make us a jingle, we will happily run it and give you many kudos on the podcast. Or if you don't want to, that's fine too. All right, let's get into today's Nerd Nugget, my little my little jingle aside. Ronan, Silka is making socks. Tell me about him. 
Yes, they are. But before we start there, I think we have to touch on the unhealthy obsession with socks that cycling has. <laughs> you know, it's, it started off just socks comfort and, you know, moved into a bit of style. And, you know, in, in the last few years, we've had UCI rules on socks. We've had trip socks uh, before the UCI rules, even though weren't they what caused the rules. Uh, and recently we had the Danish team making socks out of kinesio tape. And now we've got a pump and tool manufacturer making aero socks. So Selke and Josh Portner at Selke, of course, uh, they, they have a sister company there, Aeromind, who are all things marginal gains and do a lot of optimization work for, you know, the, what our record attempts and, um, professional teams, especially for you know time trials and and other areas where marginal gains you know have have the biggest impact. Uh, and one of their, I suppose you know we first seen that sort of from Zelka last year where where they brought out their uh, wax lube for for chains, uh, and we've seen the the Mensola bar mount sense, which is said to be more aerodynamic and three D printed. And today, Zelka announced. It's new aero socks, um, and they're they're aero socks. I suppose at this stage are pretty commonplace in professional cycling. Um, you know, we see certainly on time trial days, but you know, most often on road stages as well. Most of the riders are now opting for the sort of lycra aero socks that we that we see, and they've got that sort of ribbed fabric on them that uh, is said to trick the airflow into adhering to the leg for longer and as such reducing the sort of pressure wake behind the leg um so yeah those lycra socks that are commonplace well silica sort of highlighted a few of the issues with those mainly that they are slightly uncomfortable and refuse to stay up when it gets wet um so now what they've come out is a a knit version of the of the same much more like a traditional sock um but in typical silica style they've gone to the nth degree and delving down into the details and things that we never even thought were important like the toe box of your sock uh, and how that is knitted um for aerodynamics not for aerodynamics for comfort uh so so what uh josh portner explained in, in this youtube video to to launch the socks was that although the goal here was to develop an aero sock it still had to be uh what he said was a damn good sock uh first and foremost so um not 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 your typical aero sock so so do they have like trip lines and stuff like that they have like you would find in sort of a in a like a tt kind of overshoe booty thingy very different to the aero socks that we've seen previously uh where most aero socks have a sort of rib fabric all the way around the cuff of those um the new silica socks are are just a knit fabric uh, and there is none of the sort of trip lines that you see in, in, in standard socks these have a sort of what, what josh portner explained as or described as turbulators uh little knitted uh designs in the shape of um uh, I don't know what they're in the shape of, but <laughs> they're on the side on the side of the socks. Um, yeah, very very different from all the other aero socks that we've seen. None of the lycra that we've seen in other socks, and and that sort of raises the question as to you know how how will these perform? Uh, I haven't I have asked for it, but I haven't yet got any uh, aero testing data from Silka on this. Um, at 
you know, first impressions would suggest that it's going to be difficult to create the same effect using a, a knit fabric as as other aero socks have. But yeah, I guess we'll have to wait for the for the data on that. But um, they they are How high they, are they? They are very very different to what we what we normally see. They are well within the UCI regulations. Uh, well, I suppose that depends on the length of your leg. But um, yeah, they they look like they will be within unless you've got very short legs and you opt for the very long, uh, the extra large sock. I don't think there'll be an issue. So unless you have incredibly short legs and incredibly large feet, you'll be fine. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. M- most most aero socks have that smooth fabric on the front. Uh, with with the sort of trip strips on the side and uh, this this is a very different sock and um, they're offering them in four colors if i remember right uh, they're all quite distinctive designs uh, nothing you could kind of wear and just subtly you know w- without they, these are going to get attention they're, <laughs> they're 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 quite different looking and how much do they cost because it is silka don't yet have a price on them. Uh, they're mm. not yet on the Silco website. Um, no information has come through as of yet on them. Um, so uh, hopefully we will have that information ASAP. All right. We'll keep an eye out. I wonder, so Specialized, you know, they have their own wind tunnel, right? The wind tunnel, they call it. And back in the day, they used to do all kinds of silly tests and you could even like ask them to do them uh chris you over there so chris isn't directly involved in the wind tunnel tunnel anymore but maybe he would maybe he'd run a test for us because i'm still intrigued whether you could trip strip with leg hair i if i remember right i think that that (laughs) would be space (laughs) (laughs) disgusted (laughs) like you know to do basically what the danish team did we talked about this when when you know when that happened right could you just leave a strip of leg hair down the front of your shin, or down, or or one on either side of your calf? I'm far from an aerodynamicist, but I think it would have to be on either side. Um, the 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 idea with these aero socks is that it, it it provides a smoother surface on the front, and then the 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 trip, so to speak, uh, is just where the airflow would normally detach from the leg. Uh, and the idea is that having that little trip there creates this turbulent airflow that helps uh keep keep the airflow uh attached to the leg for longer uh and then it it, i know i'm doing that thing that you really shouldn't do and using your hands to show something on a podcast (laughs) where nobody else can see my hands but effectively it narrows that sort of wake behind the leg the the sort of the 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 width of that airflow or that wake behind behind the leg and and that that creates a um you know lower 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 drag and Okay, so you're saying that I just need to shave my shins and leave the back of my calves hairy, maybe. Yeah, I think you I really, really think you should do that, Kelly. I think that's a good, <laughs> I think it's actually very, very important that you do that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna message Chris Yu, who again is like the aerodynamicist guy at specialized, and, and see if he would run this test for us. I very much doubt that he would do that, but you never know. You never know. I th- I'm pretty sure this one has been done. I think what what you need to do, Kelly, is shave the front of your arms and leave the back <laughs> and the sides hairy. And and then, you know, what, once we've proven that theory, then the next logical step is obviously um, your hair. Uh, you <laughs> <laughs> shave the front of your hair and leave the sides and back longer. Um, All right. 
Silk is making socks. They're going to be $1,000. They'll probably work really well. <laughs> that tends to be how Silka stuff goes. All right. That's it from us this week. We've got a lot of Welta coming up. We've got lots of stuff coming up, actually. The Paralympics start soon. Abby, you're going to be chatting Paralympics pretty soon here for the podcast. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. We have the price of the, <laughs> we have the price. Silka Aero Socks. Wait, wait, we got a guess first. Abby, what's your guess? I'm going with 70 euros. 80 euros. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 68 euros. 68 US dollars. Well, I am kind of happy to say that you're all wrong on the price and that they are uh, a mere $30. I have seen more expensive socks. Uh, I think I have paid for more expensive aero socks. Uh, so that that's not bad. Uh, and what is it? Uh, according to the Silk website here, an aero sock that saves four to eight watts over standard socks made of comfortable nut material. I'll take it. Four to eight watts. Yeah, and, and it, it doesn't. I had a brief scan quickly through here. It doesn't say what speed that is at, but uh, Josh Portner of Silk did uh, explain in the video earlier that. He's sort of continually surprised by how much of a difference aero socks make, and 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 the video claimed that they can't not not the Soka socks, but you know the really tall, lycra ribbed socks that we've seen, um, lycra ribbed what, um, socks that we've seen some riders using, uh, can save twelve watts at fifty. You're gonna get these Soka phallic jokes out of me at some point, Ronan. I've been trying to hold. I was really on. surprised that you Stop didn't it. say, it. yeah. <laughs> Four to eight watts. That's astounding to me. I just can't. Four to eight watts. Like, it's got to be, a, you got to be, what, 50, 50K an hour or something like that. They got to be testing that at. But even so, that's crazy talk. Eight watts. Eight watts is like a lot of watts. Mm. I, th I think it's, it's, it's less. In, in, the, in the video released, uh, uh, Josh Portner claimed 10 watts at 30 miles per hour. So 48 watts is going to be less than that. All right, we're wrapping up for today. That was important breaking news, though, Ronan. Thank you for interjecting. All right, we'll be back next week with more Vuelta, more socks, more everything. Thanks for listening, everybody. Send us a jingle. Bye-bye. See you.